Guys, welcome to Rock Bottom to Recovery um, podcast. This is episode 31. Today, our guests are uh, Coach Mike Farillo and Kevin O'Toole, and uh, they come from the, the Boston Bulldogs Running Club. Um, and I'm just going to read this real quick, Mike. This is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit club established to provide an anonymous and safe community of support for all those adversely affected by addiction. Those in recovery, their families and friends, the clinical community, and the community at large. So, um, Mike, you're the uh, founder right. of the Running Club. And so, uh, tell us a little bit. How did you get started as far as, you know, what age did you start picking it up a drink or anything along yep. those lines? Yep. So, um, unfortunately, um, <laughs> I'll be 70 in a couple of weeks, so... It goes way back. Uh, so <laughs> way back. Way back. <laughs> so. Way back. In the late 60s, um, you know, I started smoking weed. And, yeah. and, you know, I grew up in High Park. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of drugs in the community, believe it or not. Right. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I think I was drawn towards drugs because I, I was a troubled teen. You know, yep. there was a lot of issues. And I wasn't doing very well in school. And. Um, I was hanging out with a bunch of people that are also struggling. So, you know, we were always on the other uh, side of the fence. Yeah. You know, getting ourselves in trouble. And um, I don't think any of us were really feeling that good about ourselves. And people, family members were always mad at us because yeah. we were getting in trouble. And then, you know, weed came around. I, I didn't even put a, a second thought. Somebody said, let's smoke weed. Fine, let's smoke weed. What age was that? I think I was... Uh, Let's see, I was probably 15. Okay. And that was young for yeah. those days, you know. Um, and um, from weed, <clears throat> it was really introduced very quickly to hard drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, hard drugs, heroin came in. Um, How quick would you say was the time, say, from 15 till when? when maybe it was maybe six months. Wow, that yeah. is quick. It was, there was, you know, it was just, it was, I was just wild, impulsive, and yeah. just, you know, I didn't put much thought into anything. Right. You know, I just uh, wanted to, I don't know what, what was going on with me. I just didn't, like a, any other thing, normal teenager would have said, you know, this is probably not a good idea or yeah. let me progress slowly. Um, my friends were doing it, the older yeah. kids, and uh, there was kids from Rosendale, High Park, and Mattapan. We all, we, we come together. Um, and, um, you know, we started doing uh, morphine and heroin. And wow. before I knew it, uh, and cocaine, and then I was addicted. I got, I got addicted at a young age. Yeah. And how long did that last for? So um, my family tried to intervene pretty quickly. You know, I always say I wasn't really good at being a drunk addict, yeah. you know, because I, I, I was always getting myself in trouble and... Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, some of my friends could, like, they could develop strong drug habits, you know, and I yeah. was always, I was just too out of control to even think about ways to get money, enough money to have a good drug habit. But um, my f family found different places for me to go. They actually sent me to a place in California called Synodon. It was a th what's called a therapeutic community. They really don't exist anymore. Right. It was run by... Um, recovering addicts and it was tough you know they made you wear signs they shaved your head i escaped from there wow um what were the signs what were they, were they a, trying to shame you yeah into you're recovery? a punk and you know if yeah. you did something wrong you'd have to sit in a chair for like 12 or 15 hours it was pretty brutal um and you know these were hardcore addicts that were living there it was right in the beach in santa monica california and there were addicts from new york that you know, we're kicking dope right on the floor. And, you know, I even felt bad, like, well, I can't be like them, you know? I mean, yeah. I was just so confused. I was trying to find a way to identify with some group. And um, anyway, from there, I, I went into a number of drug programs. And luckily, um, at, I think I was 22 when I finally went into treatment for the last time. Okay. And that's a whole story in itself. So you were, um, yeah, so so what was it, say, from 15 to 22? Yeah, and I was in jail. I was in different, I was, you know, locked up in mental hospitals because yeah. there, was no, there wasn't that many drug facilities around. Um, and um, 
I was in and out of this one drug facility that used that was near Jamaica Plain. That was in Mattapan, um, and it was called uh, Dark, actually Drug Addiction Rehabilitation Center. And it was a great program. It was based on the self-help and the medical model. And you could walk in there. You didn't need money. You didn't need insurance. Yeah. And if you got kicked out, you could get yourself back in there. Uh, I spent six months there. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we, they had a halfway house. I don't think I'd be alive today if I wasn't able to stay there for that long. I needed it. So then when I, when I got out, um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I think the most important thing that kept me sober is I refused to go back to the my neighborhood where there were drugs. And I just never, it was really strange for me to start a new life. But I knew if I started hanging out with people that I grew up with, yep. that I shot dope with, I would have never lasted. And I think that was really much harder for me than uh, battling my addiction. What I mean by what, what was really hard for me is starting a new ident a new life. Yeah. Because I wasn't going back to my neighborhood. I had no identity now except that I completed this drug program. And um, I was lost, you know. But it was a good loss. Like yeah. I, I was a kind of a, I was 23 or 24, but I was also, uh, developmentally, I was like a 15 or 16-year-old teenager. Well, who am I, who am I now? So I had to work on that kind of finding myself. Right. And that's where running came in. So uh, you yeah. took yourself out of the environment. I think that's huge. A lot of people yeah. don't realize. Is, uh, Big. A lot of people don't have that opportunity, and they literally go right, right back into the environment that kind of got them into um, drugs in the beginning. And so, um, I mean, that had to be um, scary, obviously, because you're flying solo. Yeah. Um, so kudos to you for um, for doing that. I well, know it's not... my, my parents moved to Revere, you know, so I didn't have to go back to Mattapan, High Park, Rosendale, Jamaica Plain, you know, yeah. where I ran the streets there. But um, the thing, because I was kind of like figuring out who am I, I you know, I was a high school dropout, um, I figured, well, let me get back to the drug program where I went through and I applied to be a drug counselor, but they made you leave for a year. Yeah. And so that year I just spent working ironworks and different jobs, but I went back there and I became a drug counselor. And from there I um, went on to get my uh, bachelor's and my master's and, um, you know, kind of found a new, uh, became a different person. Yeah. And I think that's big. It's huge. So, uh, 23, any idea? What year was that? Uh, 20, when I was 23. When you, when you, when you quit? When you quit uh, I think it was 75. Okay, so let's hold on to that. 75, right? Yeah. What year were you born, Kev? 79. <laughs> so, so Mike already had about four years clean. Yeah, four years. You weren't even And then born. Kevin is Coming born. out of the womb. <laughs> Kevin comes into the world. My boy, <laughs> so, Kevin. <laughs> and where'd you grow up, Kev? I grew up in um, East Dedham. Mass. Okay. All right. And so let's let's jump into your story. So what happened? So uh, when did you start using? What did you what did you use? What did you what did you start off with? Um, alcohol. Alcohol. Um, I w was in a neighborhood where there were a lot of kids from broken homes. So yep. um, a lot of them were used in early ages. I tend to be. I was one of the last holdouts. I. I think I was 16 when I picked up my first drink. So how old would you say the um, your, your group of friends? Like, like what, 11. What so 11. Yeah. Wow. 11, 12. 11. Yeah. So people need to hear that, 11. Because I think sometimes we think like, oh, yeah, man, that's too young. I, sh I don't need to have that conversation. People need to have that conversation. Kevin doesn't lie. Yeah. So when he says that kids were drinking at 11, they, they were, were drinking. drinking at 11. Yeah, yeah there were a lot of um, houses that were... A lot of the mothers had their kids young, and so they were partying themselves. And yep. my parents were a little older, so when I went to those houses, they knew what was going on, and so they would ask me to stay away from them. And for the most part, I did in the beginning just because I had aspirations of getting out of that town yep. and becoming um, more of an athlete, you know, just like every kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Yeah. And um, You played sports? Yeah, I played football and baseball. Good and, at it? Yeah, it was yeah. decent. Um, yeah. And then I decided to go to a Catholic high school that was kind of catered towards um, sports at the time. They yep. were like a powerhouse in football and, you know, 
they were grabbing kids from every town, like yeah. the best kids, and, and putting them all in the same school. And then so they as were a, stacking it. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, like the Hasselback brothers went to my high school, the ones okay. that made the NFL. And yeah. So there was a lot of talent, you know, a lot of. So, so, all right, so you obviously you held out for quite some time. Yeah, I held out until I was a sophomore in high school. And then kind of, uh, what was it? Was it peer pressure? Was it like, it, did it look like everybody was having a good time? Did it? No, for me, it was, um, uh, I say this a lot, as like the rubber met the road, and I didn't know how to cope with with life on life's terms. So what that looked like for me was I... I um, I found myself in positions where, like on the football field, I wasn't getting enough playing time, mm -hmm. and, I, and I didn't know how to talk to a coach and say, like, I think I should be playing more, or um, I had a lot of anger. Um, yeah. I, come, I came from an alcoholic home, so there was a lot of chaos, and there was a lot of, um, a lot of ups and downs. So, yeah. like, I, I didn't really have too much of emotional regulation to begin with, so... I was going to a school where a lot of kids um, weren't coming from that background. Right. And I was, originally I went to the public schools until the eighth grade, so I identify with a lot of the kids that did come from that background. So when I went to this school, it was a little bit like Mike, like I was all on my own and I was Kinda trying like to do different things. Of, yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, I think to a degree, like I, I sat in that too much, you know, like yeah. I, I was like I said, angry, you know, frustrated, and, and instead of um, kind of expressing myself, I would go inwards, and I would just stew on things, and, yeah. and um, what happened was eventually I made a phone call to a friend who I knew had a party every weekend, and I said, you know, can I come, and, and uh, I went to the party, and it was like a celebration, like everyone was waiting for me, and yeah. And even when I walked through the door, I had this gut feeling like, this is the wrong thing. You yeah. know, I got, my mother gave me a ride to the house and she knew the house and it was kind of like a flop house. And she was like, are you sure you want to go there tonight? And I'm like, yeah, no, no, we're just hanging out and ended up being debauchery. And um, my first drink turned into 10 yep. and I immediately was an alcoholic type drinker, like from... Right to a blackout. Right to a blackout. Yeah. My very first drink. I mean, very first... Uh, time drinking and um, I knew having seen uh, my father's uh, alcoholism I knew that the, I had the gene yep. and I wasn't um, I, I, I wasn't um, oblivious to that like yep. I was kind of very aware of that but I had this f um, thing in my I, I, I got to a place that night where I felt like my brain had shut off and I was thought I was having such a great time and I got out of myself yeah and so I thought oh this is a, a good thing and then um, I I always had that feeling like this is going to be something I have to address at some you point knew, you but knew I would push all it along, off kind of way yeah, in the back of your mind right from Jump Street right from 16 I knew this is going to be a problem for as long as I am drinking it will be a problem yeah you yeah. know it's funny you say that because I actually somewhat had a similar thought too when I started drinking. Like I remember, I mean, we had to be, I don't know, 14, 15 years old and drinking Seagram 7 at, at the old Forest Hill Station. Oh yeah. Two o'clock in the morning and I was getting heartburn and I remember yeah. thinking, this isn't fun. I thought this was supposed to yeah. be fun. And I always just had a sense, same thing like you, like there's no way I'm gonna be able to sustain this at all. Right. And so, um, but so now that kicked it off, right? So Yeah, it kicked um, it off. Where'd that take you? Like Um I was pretty fortunate in that um I I I was a sort of an independent thinker even then. Um so I went to a few parties and then I started to to kind of see how it worked. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I I I thought a lot of it was phony and so I said, you know, I was sporadic. I would go to I would go to a party one weekend, and then the next weekend I wouldn't go. And then I'd go three weeks without drinking, and then I would drink for, for two weeks on. You know, so it yeah. was, I was always sort of a spree type of drinker. Um, so I was able to continue with school, um, but I ended up dropping out of all athletics because of my resentments. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm kind of lost as a 16-year-old kid. I don't have the structure of sports anymore. I don't know what I'm good at. And I'm just kind of floating and doing school and 
school came pretty naturally to me, so I was lucky in that regard. So yeah. I went on to college. So you did well in school, even though you yeah. were. So did you drink in? Obviously, it must have picked up at some point, correct? Yeah. Um, I would say, like, college, um, my first, actually, night of school, I was uh, taken out in an ambulance and had my stomach pumped. Wow. And it was like a real awakening. Like, um, I had a real vivid memory of a kid saying, you know, do you want to come to this party? And I knew, like, I had classes in the morning, and I'm yeah. like, oh... Uh, what's it called? Uh, I should, I should enjoy the college experience. So I had that like devil on my shoulder, always yeah. talking me into things. And and I, the real gut feeling was like, no, like you know, this is what not what you're here for, you know, like. But I I listened to that, you know, other side, and yeah. and then I was kind of really anxious and nervous, and I just drank and drank like way more than other people were drinking, you know. And what did you drink when you drank? That uh, was uh, that night was Captain uh, Jack. So you was like hard liquor, yeah. yeah hard liquor. Um, but I would, I was a drinker that would just pick up anything. Like yeah. I, I never really enjoyed the taste of booze. I just liked what it did to me. So I didn't care what it was. I would just pick it what up. Do you, what do you think it did? Um, it just quieted my mind, and I, I felt, I get that glow, that buzz. Yeah. But that buzz would be like short lived, and then it would go into blackout. Yeah. Um, I, you know. I, as a 20-year-old kid, I felt like it took me out of myself. I was able to talk to friends and girls and everything you else. You could open up. Yeah. yeah. All but the it, little ins the insecurities Insecurities that you had would leave, gone. yeah. But Which it was we all know. Yeah. kind of like false pride, you know, like false yeah. ego, you know. Um, so, that, so yeah, after that night, um, they were thinking about expelling me from school. And a couple of the people that worked there got to just see me one-on-one, -on -one and they just saw something in me that they were like this kids got more to give to yeah, the school yeah. so i was able to stay in the school um my parents were kind of shocked um i don't know if you remember there was a kid who went to mit his name was scott kruger and he ended up dying about four years before that and it was a big story on the news he was joined a fraternity it was like his first week of school yeah drank himself to death and the mother was just devastated and yeah. it was and so there were shades of that, like, you know, you could have been that kid yeah, again. And easily. so, um, so your parents obviously, they were concerned, you know, concerned. I, they literally had dropped me off 24 hours before, you know, and I was back at home <laughs> with the shakes. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So, you know, playing sports all your life and being ex exceptionally good at sports and being, you know, going to, um, to a high school that just basically focused in on sports. I mean, that was, and, um, playing baseball and football and then eventually not playing like what was that like for you emotionally like you know you, you were tracked to play in college and yeah even go beyond he was you know he's a humble guy but he was he, he was, was destined he was moved he was that good that he was uh yeah i got even though i didn't play high school baseball i got recruited even to go to co like college which was looking at me because i was playing in skill. summer leagues, yeah, yeah. And they real skill, and, they yeah. and and he loved it, and he was yeah. good at really good at it, and that was your identity. Yeah, it was. That's where your self esteem came. A lot. So of it. when you when you gave that up, where were you? Where were you? I emotionally? was emotionally like withdrawn. I, I that's com devastating. Completely yeah. isolated as a. It's like having a dream. You know, I went to work at Stop and Shop and was bagging groceries, and then I if I wasn't doing that, I was. Um, at the gym and I'd spend two, three, four hours at the gym by myself and it kind of set up a, a pattern for me of isolation from people like I di didn't trust people as you know as much as I could have and I, right. I kind of didn't give anyone the benefit of the doubt and I felt like the world was out to get me it was you know me against the world and it was tough attitude. And I, I would I like Mike was saying that um you know, I mean, your, your self-worth just has to go even further in. Yeah. Which just it makes everything else, you know, like your isolation yeah. and everything is just enhances to the point where... And then you want to numb yourself out because you can't stand for it. Yeah, you get to that point, like a, that a boiling of point of like, ah, oh, I've had enough, you know, and then you get, give me that drink. Like I just, you know, and then when I would have the drink, it would just be like, give me 10 more. Like I want to yeah. just... You felt like free and open. Yeah, I just not, wanted to just numb not. the world out, and then I would wake up in a hangover or whatever situation that would get myself in, and it would be 
completely uh, out of character, you know, of, of the, what I knew to be my character. But So I, I, I don't know if I had mentioned this, uh, but uh, everybody refers to uh, Mike as coach. Coach, yeah. Uh, for, for um, you know, for um, reasons, you know, because you're the coach. You're the coach. Coach yeah. of running, coach of life. Yeah. But do you find, like, with Kevin, um, in your experience of of, um, of doing this, that, you know, a lot of people feel the same way? This is you what know, Kevin's You know, like, the self-worth, yeah. like, just. Right. I, I think um, what leads, it's a complicated process, addiction, yeah. you know, and relapse. But I think for the most part, it's not, people's lack of self-worth isn't just the consequences of their drinking. There's self-worth because of things happening in so their life. Factors. So many things yeah. that happen. You know, I felt, I wasn't, the thing is, um, one of the things, reasons I'm so into mindfulness, it's, it's, it's really practicing being awake so you can see what's going on with you internally and externally. I had no clue what, what was going on with me when I was a kid, right. what I was feeling. I knew, in retrospect, I knew deep down inside, you know, I felt terrible about myself because I was, had no success. Right. I, people were always looking down on me. My father was a famous athlete in Boston, a boxer, you know, and I felt like he was disgusted with me and I, I you know, I couldn't live, I couldn't be like him. Right. He's, you know, where the guy was getting all this admiration and, oh, I know your father and, you know, I felt like I shamed him. Yeah. So those feelings of shame and lack of self-worth, I think is such a big part of uh, why people become addicts and then become, once you become an alcoholic or an addict, that just, then now you're feeling really bad about right. yourself because of the stigma and because of the consequences. That's right. You know, now look at it, now I just got a record and now I just got myself in trouble here. In the self-loathing and self-hatred is just so deep. Well, even the things that you have to do to feed the addiction. Yeah, just that's like, what I just mean. Just continue to pile the that, guilt and yeah. the shame in. And, and that's, that's, you know, for me, I, you know, low points of my thing um, is, you know, I stole from my, my niece one right. day. And I, I think I have to be the worst person in the world because it wasn't really me. Right. I knew the way I was brought up. I was a loving kid. I was a good kid. But as soon as I hit my adolescence, I just took off in the wrong direction. I lost, I lost who I was. Right. You know? Well, you, you know, too, adolescence, I mean, your, your mind's still growing, the yeah. hormones, puberty, all that stuff. That, that all kind of factors in, too. So, so uh, Kev, what, what has, so you, you, you're in college. Yep. Um, when did it, like... I was going to say, how bad did it get? But obviously, it gets if you're getting your stomach pumped. Did, did yeah. that? Did that kind of like? I wish it would. It did. It gave me uh, like a two week reprieve. Yeah. And I remember um, I sat with a counselor, and I said to him, "I'm never going to drink again." And he goes, "You absolutely will." And that, that really struck me. And I and I was like walked out of there, and I'm like, "He's wrong." Two weeks later, the same kid that you know, invited me to the party, had another party, and yeah. I was drinking again. Did you hear that um, counselor's voice in your Not head? Not at that time. No. <laughs> I was pretty determined to drink that <laughs> night. But um, That's good. But I, I found myself uh, throughout college in sort of like a Jekyll and Hyde personality, like where I would study really hard and, and try to do good, and I was yeah. dating a girl who was so uh, not sober, but she wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah. So... Our relationship was totally different than when I would drop her off at a room. I would go find the guys that I knew drank the way I did, yeah. and I would just get messed up. And then it was this constant uh, battle of like, why did I do that? I, I'm never doing that again. And like I, I, you know, I, I, I at that point I was really confused of 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 who my identity was, yeah. you know. And, and um, it wasn't until I got out of college and I started to really have more run-ins with drinking, like being arrested for driving under the influence. And um, so you graduated from college. Graduated from college. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Right, so um, the the school thing that was always there. Yep. Um, and you did well. Always did well. Yeah. yeah. It was always. It's just a gift. Like yeah. I, I could study and pass the test. So you now you're out of college and the drinking continues. Yeah, the drinking worse? continued. It got worse because I wasn't happy with. The choices I made in college because I felt like I 
was kind of people pleasing. I, I went to a school because yeah. it sounded good, and I went. I didn't know why I did it, and then um, all of a sudden I'm in real work in the real world, and again like coping came in. I had no idea how to cope. Yeah. You know, I wanted to jump off the building. You know, and people were talking about Christmas cakes, and I had my thoughts were like alcohol. This yeah. place is terrible. I, you know, is this my life for the rest of my life? Total misery. Yeah, total misery. Misery. And, um, and that really continued on, um, unfortunately, for the next 10 years or so. Wow. So how long? What's the total of your drinking? I started when I was 16. I put it down when I was 30. Wow, okay. I had a brief relapse at 33. It was about uh, three days. So uh, before we jump into that, because I do sure. like to talk about the relapse, um, what was it that you finally said, I got to stop this, and then you got into recovery? What, what was that for you? Uh, for me, I had gone out the night before. Um, actually, I had gone, it was New Year's. I had turned 30. Uh, I'm born in December, so, like, for me, it was like, all right, it's the start of a new year. I'm 30 years old. Like, I got to get serious about my life. I, I had stopped working in the field that I had been trained in, and I was doing a lot of um, construction jobs, under-the-table yep. jobs, like just getting by. Yep. Um, I visited a, a girl that I knew in college, um, and I was a complete mess down there. I was in yeah. Virginia, and I, I, I was a jerk, and I acted like a jerk. And, and, you know, she basically wanted me to go home early, but I, my ticket wasn't till you know, the next couple of days so yeah. i said i'm not leaving you know and i hold up in her house and just drank yeah and then i came home and it was like all right that's done like and i've said that to myself a thousand times and um i was living with a friend of mine and uh we went out that night nothing different than a normal night um but i i um had all these experiences that night and the next day we were kind of all up around breakfast and everyone was telling me what I did, and I didn't remember yeah. most of it. You know, you smashed a bottle on the street, you punched some kid in the face, you, you know, tried to kiss a girl who had a boyfriend, and I was just like thinking to myself, this is not you. Like, yeah. And I didn't say it to those guys. I just said to myself, and I had been exposed to AA from the DUI, Yep. and I had been a little exposed to Alateen, and Al-Anon, my mother would try to get us to go. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't unfamiliar with the program. And I think it was kind of the grace of God. Like, I just said to myself, uh, it was a Sunday. I said, on a Monday, I'm going to a meeting by myself, no matter what it takes. And I ended up at a meeting, and uh, the gentleman um, came into my life, and it just, like, it, I, 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 like he said, I wouldn't know. I don't know where I'd be today if he, yeah. if he didn't come into my life. So somebody was there to kind of help you along. When yeah, you he was. Um, sober. I consider him like he was like an elder statesman. Uh -huh. He was almost eighty years old. Yeah. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I was, I, I'm not um, an extrovert by any means. So I was in the back of the room, and uh, he just kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, "I know what you're going through." And yeah. I knew that he he meant it, and he said, "Can you come back next week? I need you. I want you to be here." And for me, when I get invited like that, I feel welcome. And so, I had the whole week. I just thought, "This guy wants me to come back. I want to show up for this guy." And I showed up. And the funny thing was, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. And I walked out, and I'm like, you know, all these thoughts are running through my yeah. head. And luckily, I had given him my number the week before. He called me up and was like, I know I didn't get a chance to talk to you, but um, I knew you were there. And he's like, come next week. And That's like cool. it, it started it started a mentor type ship that I'll be forever grateful for his his guidance. So um, so all right, so um, so you had to go how many years did you have clean and sober? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. So how did you what happened that you ended up relapsing? Uh, very common to like what I hear a lot in AA is like Got away from meetings, yep. got um, just a little bit disingenuous and said, you know, what's the point? You know, my attitude came back. The yeah. attitude when I was 15, 16 came back. And I started to bring, you know, that with me wherever I went. And so it wasn't just an AA. Like I was miserable outside of AA and I was just saying to myself, 
you know, um, I would I would say a lot like so you so what you're three and a half years so what you know yeah I I self-deprecating and not giving myself any credit and not allowing the guys that I had grown to like and know me in anymore and started to push people away and isolate and then I I, I you know it took me a while to pick up but I was gonna pick up like yeah. I it was probably six months in the making so you pretty much stopped your self care yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 I knew you kind of go in there. We've talked about that here on the podcast because it's it's so important. Like, um, I talk to a lot of people, and when they've relapsed, it's like, well, what happened? I, I kind of already know the answer up front, but I just want to hear it, and I yeah. want them to hear it, and them say it is that, you know, I stopped doing the things that were keeping me clean and sober. Yeah, and and I'm telling you, it's like, I, and I still get that voice in my head. It's like, I say it all the time. I'm repeating it. It's like a little voice just ah, kick back. Yeah. You were yeah. tired today, you know, um, and like you said, it's just their time, uh, three and a half years. It's right. like, so people need to recognize that voice and just basically tell the voice to it's take a just, hike. It's not just external, you know, uh, stop with the self-care, going to meetings. There's also internally a process going on where you're kind of going, in, going into a state of delusion and denial. Like you, you're starting to, you know, just uh, not take a look at what's going on with you. Right. You know, if you're depressed, you know, if there's something going on, you don't want to deal with it. Life. Yeah. Yeah. So you stop doing the work internally with yourself, too, right. you know, and then, well, in other words, you're just kind of going into a state of denial yeah. about what's happening. Like, you don't want to deal with it. You start to get an attitude. And from that attitude of not wanting to deal with what you're feeling, the struggles you're having goes into like, I don't need this, I don't want this, and then you pick up. So now that so leads us into, yeah, it means a lot of and back to you, yeah. Coach, yeah. where, um, you know, how did, um, how did the running start? Did you, were okay. you always a runner? No, no, I never, I, like I said, I dropped out of school, uh, didn't even make it to the ninth grade, and uh, so I didn't get, I was always athletic, I didn't get a chance to play sports. Right. So I, when I stick was a stickball, stick played a lot of stickball. <laughs> Do any right? boxing? Yeah, I did in yeah. jail actually. I was, they had, I think I was mentioning that to you. Um, when I did that sh that stretch at uh, in the House of Correction in Dedham, they had a ring there, and I yeah. was boxing. Um, my How father, you? pardon? Were you good? Oh, they, yeah, Tiger, <laughs> Tiger Mike. They called me <laughs> Tiger Mike. But you know, uh, my father never wanted us to box. Yeah, my father wanted us to go to school, and his heart was broken that I dropped out, and um, he just would not let my brother or me box, and you know, he just thought it was, you know, it's a tough. It sport. is a tough sport. Yeah, it he, is. He, he made a lot of money and uh, lost it. He fought, you know, 15 rounds, and you know he struggled yeah. uh, as a fighter. It comes with the price. Yeah, co yeah. yeah. And he didn't. He he wanted his kids to be educated. Right. So I was excluded from that, which was difficult for me because I used to go to the gym down Friend Street at North Station, and he trained Tony DeMarco, all the world uh, world champion boxer yeah. out of Boston, Joe. And, you know, he would make me sit in a corner while he'd be mentoring and fathering these and coaching these guys, you know. And yeah. that just fed into my my stuff. But what happened with me is when I got sober, um, I, you know, I, was, I found a way to get into college and I was going to school and I was working as a drug counselor. And, you know, I just had a lot of time and a lot of energy on my yeah. hands. And one day I went for a two-mile run because the running boom was just starting to happen. Bill Rogers won the marathon. Yep. And um, I ran two or three miles. I came back and I said, geez, I feel, I feel good. Yeah. I didn't have that uh, same anxiety. And there was a sense of uh, re uh, better feeling after the run, during the run, opposed right. to running. And then from there, I... Um, I just started running more and more. I started running road races. I joined a running club. Now I had an identity as a runner. You know, I started to feel better about myself. Um, I wanted people to say, you know, well, you ran a marathon, you know. Yeah. So I was motivated to do these things to get people's, uh, you know, people to feel good about me because all my life I felt like people yeah. um, looked down on me. So I was really motivated to get approval and recognition that was probably like my father got. So running played a big part in helping me cope, mm -hmm. you know, mentally, and it gave me something to do, and it also helped me develop an identity. Yep. 
as a, now I'm, I'm an athlete, I'm a runner, you know? And I was pretty good, you know? I ran marathons and I was pretty fast. And What's the longest you've ever run? Just the same marathon? Marathon, I ran, yeah. yeah, I ran uh, a bunch of, many, many over the years. Um, obviously, I'm sure Boston, correct? Yeah, yeah. What else, where else? I ran in Venice, Italy for nice. the American Living Foundation. I ran in, um, I ran Rhode Island, I ran the Mar Marine Corps, I ran the New York Marathon, that was my first. You know, it was very exciting to have something that I could do and have a goal and f learn discipline and focus yeah. and especially uh, being, uh, always challenging myself. Like here I am in college, I'm an eighth grade dropout. And then, you know, I get my degree from there and BC gives me a score. I'm at BC and I didn't feel like I fit in and it was very, very hard for me, you know, to learn the basics and just stay there. And I wasn't going to leave yeah. and I wasn't going to pick up drugs. So I just had running. I'd go off for a good 11-mile, 10-mile run when I was feeling insecure or uh, didn't feel like I fit in or was yeah. having strugg struggles academically. Running was a, a refuge for me. Yeah. It was an alternative for me not to get angry and act out and not to go back to drugs. So running played a big part in my personally in my recovery. Yeah. So how did they come into, um, in, is, how did it become the, okay. um, the running club? So what club happened was many years passed. Um, now I got my social worker, I'm an LICSW, I got a private practice, I, got a, I live in Brookline, you know, and, yeah. um, and I got my son who's, you know, doesn't know anything about that world, he's a lawyer now, and I felt really, you know, fortunate in my life, and I, I actually missed, um, I, I missed, I missed, it's hard, I didn't miss the drug world, but I just kind of missed my neighborhood, yeah. sort of metaphorically speaking. Um, so one day I decided that I wanted to volunteer at uh, different drug programs like a Hope Found, a Pine Street Inn stabilization program. I went there, I told them about my idea of starting a running club up, yeah. promoting wellness, and I would go there every Saturday for eight years. And I started a running club up there, and I had the guys run. You know, we'd run road races. Mm -hmm. We'd I had them running three or four times a week, and I just enjoyed being with them a lot, and I enjoyed helping them a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the guys that did run with me were athletes, uh, like Kevin. Yep. And they were, you know, they were there for between six weeks and uh, eight weeks or twelve weeks, and so you know they'd look forward to running or look forward to me coming. And um, so, you know, it was very, I was recognized by the Patriots and the Celtics for all my volunteer work. Mm -hmm. and, the, and I, you know, I, I just wanted to expand it. And then I, I started the nonprofit and it became the Boston Bulldog Running Club. And how long has that been up in? Three years. Three years. It's, yeah, I'm very proud of the fact now that, uh, Billy, we got a chapter, we got the one in Cleveland Circle, we got one in Plymouth. We got one at the Divine Recovery. Yep. We we now we're going to the Oster Guy High School on Wednesdays. Willie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, there, yeah. Kevin's the coordinator there. He goes up there every Wednesday. He started running with the guys. And now I'm at. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So and then I'm at the we we started the Italian home for children because I want to get the kids that the kids are taken out of their home. They live there for a number of years. Yep. And um, we started the Junior Bulldogs because I want to be able to uh, connect with these kids when they are at a when they become teenagers. Obviously, for dip, because of the, what they've had to deal with and the genetics, they're they're susceptible addiction. So mm -hmm. now we got that. So we're I'm really proud, and it's a lot of work. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I we do this. We don't get paid, and yeah. it's it's a but it's. It's we're doing great. We're, yeah. And and the the thing that really excites me too is, I started this thing called the Full Circle Program. Well, I want Kevin to talk about it more than me. But once you uh, you you set up a goal, like maybe you can talk about your Full sure. Circle yeah. One. And once you complete Full Circle One or Full Circle Two, then you're eligible to be able to become go into the inner circle of the Bulldogs, which means you start going out and you start promoting the Bulldogs or you're responsible for a chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, like Kevin is responsible for working at Austin Guy, going there every Wednesday and yep. talking to the kids and running. And, he get, and I'm able to provide a stipend for all the people that complete the full circle that are out there working for the Bulldogs. 
and Kevin's uh, doing that, and he's here with me today. That's excellent. So and Kevin, now he's going to be running, uh, going to Bournemouth Hospital once a month to talk to the kids, the people in treatment there. Go so I, um, how did you get involved with, yeah. the, um, with the running club? Um, there was yeah. a guy that I knew in AA, uh, this guy Jack, and I knew that he was a runner. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about him. We had just kind of had uh, mutual friends in AA. Um, I had kind of done some running on my own uh, a couple years before, and I found it, like Coach said, um, after a couple miles, like I felt my headspace was better. I felt yeah. like in addition to going to AA meetings, I was doing something physical that felt good. I mean, right. for me, I didn't come from a background of running, so I just put the sneakers on and ran and yep. put the music on, and I, it was good for me. Yeah. You know, I kind of tapped back into my inner athlete, and uh, slowly but surely, like, uh, I went and did some road races on my own and uh, got some confidence there, and then um, I kind of had a just uh, some depression, and I, mm -hmm. I just hit a funk, and um, I knew that this guy, Jack, had also experienced depression. So what I had learned in AA over the years, um, especially with, with the relapse, was, you know, as a man, it's hard, and there's a fear to, like, talk to another man and say, I'm vulnerable right now, or, like, yeah. I, I have these insecurities, or, like, I'm depressed, and, I mean, I'm sober, but I'm struggling. And so um, I had to walk through that fear, and I contacted Jack, and I told him exactly what I was going through, and he said, let's start running, and uh, we kind of did it on our own for a bit. But then he said, like, I, I want to introduce you to this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's dynamite coach. And this program, I think, would be perfect, like, for you. And I just had to trust in that. He was had my best interest at heart. And so um, I ended up um, coming to Cleveland Circle, um, kind of staying in the background a bit. Like, I, that's my M.O. Mm -hmm. But he, coach, found me out and immediately made me feel welcome, immediately made me feel part of this this organization yeah. and uh like i said for me when i'm invited to something and i feel like it's genuine i give my all yeah. back because i feel like if i'm going to get your energy i'm going to give you my energy so um the full circle program is a uh, something that coach came up with and i think it's dynamite it's a contract you know and it's a contract that you sign mm -hmm. and um for me i i I take that to heart. Like, I'm giving you my word that I'm going to show up, that I'm going to stay sober this entire time, and that I'm going to um, um, enrich myself in this program and, and to, until this race, you know. And, yeah. and then so it's leading up into a goal. It's a six-week program. It's a six-week program. Yeah. And so you're he at two it. places? Yeah, you're going out to two places? Oh, that's well, no, so uh, outside he, of yes, the full circle. So, okay, outside. All so right. the full circle is the physical part of the of the group. You know, we run. So I did a 10K. And mm -hmm. after the 10K, it's almost like you're incorporated into the, you know, you're a member of us. You're one of us. Yep. You did it just the way everyone else did. And now, right? Yeah. Six weeks he stayed sober. He was... Uh, he was, you know, accepted the coaching, and he had a sponsor. So you were training. He trained. Yeah. I was coaching, training him, and we were talking on the phone. You yeah. know, that connection is yeah. important. Right. He ran a 5K. He killed it. He did really well. I said, Kevin, I want you to, you know, do a 10K. Same thing. Sober, coaching, training. We give him a program. Mm -hmm. um, he did the 10K. That was what? When was that? A couple, week, uh, couple weeks ago. A couple and then ago. we give him a, a, a certificate. We, we acknowledge him. We have a group. We talk about it, yeah. what it meant. You know, he, get, he got a present. And um, now, you know, he's at a place where he's a, really a significant and big part of the Bulldogs. Excellent. You know, he's out there giving back. Right. And Which is huge. And, and that's and, important. And, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I just, um, I, I find that, you know, the more I give back, you know, speaking at a commitment or, or coming to do a show, radio show, like, it's just my way of saying thank you for yeah. the gratitude, you know, and having gratitude for staying sober, being sober, and then having something like this that came into my life, really, you know, the grace of God, like, it's just, you know, I had never even heard of the Bulldogs, never heard yeah. of Coach Mike, never heard of anybody, and now there's so many people in that group that know my first name, 
that know it's my personality. Like it's, it makes a big you become part of the family. People. We have yeah. a, so yeah. we have a softball game Monday. We're playing against Gavin. We, you know, we they socialize. They go to meetings together. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, it's interesting you brought up that fellow that saw you. But I saw the potential in him right. as a human being. Yep. You know, we spoke the truth. Like the minute we connected, we both spoke the truth to one another. I saw his potential as a human being and and as someone that could um, <clears throat> could take care of himself and give back. Uh, now he's working towards full circle three, which means he's running a half marathon in Lowell. Wow. Um, so it's being able to continue to show up, continue to put the effort into whatever goal you have, and continue to give back. And it's that cycle. So the three steps that I try, I love to talk about in the Bulldogs, the first step is what I call self-leadership. Mm -hmm. We talked about this when I first met you, Billy. Right. You've got to put effort into getting better, whether it's mentally or your addiction. Even when your mind says you're not worth it or it's too hard or, you know, you're so habitually conditioned to just out of fear, you know, move away from what's difficult and no, try, uh, not try new things or stay with it. So effort is the first thing, self-leadership. Second thing is transparency. If somebody is in the program, it's important for them to start practicing, looking at themselves, being honest, asking for help. Mm -hmm. And then the third is the giving back. If somebody is in the full circle and they complete one, two, three, or four, I had somebody who completed full circle four, which happened to be a marathon for her. Right. Um, and they relapse, but they stop from full circle one. They come into the group, they acknowledge they've slipped because if you're gonna start coming back to the bull, if you're in the Bulldogs and you're lying, when you, if you really, you know, so you have to come clean. I relapsed, yeah. I'm starting all over again. And to see people come back and get love and support because they have so much shame, right. to say, hey, you, you just slipped. And now we got people who were up to four or three relapsed because, you know, relapse is what can yeah. happen. And now they're starting all over again. And when they complete full circle of one again, it's almost like the, there's so much love and support and, and, and pe the person just feels so good about themselves that they came back. Right. So That's the excellent. coming back, and if somebody relapses, we stay connected to them. Hmm. You know, I try to reach out to them if they're sectioned or if they're in jail yep. or, that's, that connection is important. The heart of the Bulldogs is the relationships, is the support that we, we give one another. That's the heart of it, you know, is, yeah. the, is just being a community and having relationships with one another. Right. Like right now, it's the truth. I, you know, I don't know. I haven't know, How many months? Five months? Yeah. I feel like I've known him all my life. Right. I feel like I trust him. He trusts me. I mean, we have such a, a close bond now, you know. I'm sure the entire community, I mean, because yeah. everybody can identify with each other. And yeah. when you yeah. feel that you can be free and open, it's, it's just, it's, it's totally huge. Different. It's and when huge. you can be yourself. You can be yourself. Uh, That's the transparency. Said, be yourself, which we all just really want to be. Right. Um, well, I, I know we're coming yeah. towards the end. Um, so do you have anything, um, wasn't this, is there anything on the South Shore? Is there a chapter on the South Shore yeah. yet? Yeah, so like Situate? I said, Plymouth, we just started Plymouth, right. at Situate at the, um, uh, what's it, the uh, Situate Peer Recovery Center. Yeah, so, so got, if somebody was interested in, in coming in to the Bulldogs, come down, check out, maybe go for a run or something, yeah, what absolutely. would you suggest? So what, what I suggest is they give me a call, 617-875-8747. Yep. I'll go on the website or, or email me. Um, and make sure I get the email. I'm going to put, you know what, Mike? I'm going to put all that all information right. onto the information. Yeah, we got uh, a bunch of different emails. Just reach out to me. You know, we provide running gear. We provide T passes. You know, we'll get you there somehow. Yeah. People, good uh, a number of people don't have their license. They lost their license. Yep. But we provide rides. One way or them. another, they get you to where you want to get We'll get them there, yeah. yeah. All we're saying is be honest. And put effort into getting better. Right. You know, if you're going to be dishonest, and you're not going to, you're going to want somebody else to do the work. This is not. The it's work. not going to happen. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to happen. So if you if you want to be a part of the, the uh, Boston Bulldogs Running yeah. Club, and you know, and you're serious about it, that's there for you. Um, I, I'm actually, I think I'd like to, 
give it a shot myself. I want nice. to. I've done running before. Yeah, I actually ran one time in San Francisco from the cops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my cardio was phenomenal, Coach. Yeah. You would have been proud. Uh, but as I turned the corner, for whatever reason, I stopped. So I did a I, little, I did I a little stint in the uh, would, San Francisco jail that night. I would love to have you in yeah. the Bulldogs, and I think you'd be an asset. And I think you'd, everyone is expected. The first thing is to work on their own wellness. Yeah. The other thing, let me just say in closing, it's not just for people like us. It's for people who are impacted by yeah. addiction. We have a lot. Families. It's a, we have a lot yeah, of Allen on parents. people there. Yeah. Because That's I great. I'm glad you mentioned we that. We have those three steps that I teach in recovery <clears throat> for them. Um, and the other thing is we have the run for recovery. May It's in May. Yep. We have, this will be our fourth one. The would that be at there. the Franklin Park? Franklin Park. Yep. Okay. And we have a tribute to people who have lost their lives. Okay. It's pretty moving. Yeah. I, and, I, I, can uh, only I want you to make a commitment today. You'll run that race. How long is that? Five, five k. Okay. That you can. What's do that? How many is that in miles? I'm three. Three point three. three, three I got you. One. One. Listen, in the Marine Corps, I did um, three miles in eighteen minutes and forty seconds. That's pretty good. Do not expect yeah. that anytime <laughs> soon. That's fast. <laughs> so, I was young and thin, and right. yeah, I was fast. good to go. But, so that would be excellent, uh, definitely. And you know what, Coach? I'm glad you mentioned the family and the friends because I think a lot of times we do focus on. Um, the addiction and the and the and the person that's um, um, involved in substance use disorder, but even more importantly, family, friends, yeah. anybody. If you if you're affected by this, come on out. I'm going to get all the information. Um, and there's up anonymity. The Everybody should. We don't identify like, oh, I'm I'm impacted. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. I'm an alcoholic. We're just all just up. a bunch of what I call average meatballs. We're all together. <laughs> yeah. And we're all there to to practice, you know, getting better and giving back. So there's no like, well, we don't identify ourselves. We're just all there together. There's anonymity. We got people that have been in the club for two months, three months. They're not ready to say why they're there. Yeah. You don't and have that's to all well talk and good. about it. Yeah. Just all show right. up. That's it. That's it. All right, guys. So this, this will be the end of the um, uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery episode uh, 30, uh, 31, right? Yeah. See, we're good. Um, uh, thank you, Coach. Yeah. Um, thank you, Kevin, for coming you. on and telling your story and stuff. I think this is excellent. As you guys know, I am also part of the Holbrook Cares Coalition. Uh, we meet the first Tuesday of every month at the Holbrook Town Hall from 7 to 9 p.m. That's just another opportunity for you guys to come up, tap into some resources that are available, um, just like uh, the Boston Bulldog Running Club is a resource. Um, you can go to our Facebook page. Um, you can go to their Facebook page. So with that, uh, thank you guys for your patience and, and uh, joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Be safe. That's it. That was good. That was good.